All right, let's get rolling so I can go wine tasting. Welcome to Book Talk Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina from TBR Etc. And I'm Renee from It's Book Talk. This is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. Today, we are talking about under the radar books. We'll share something that we've been loving lately, review our latest read, and have book talk about under the radar books. Books that you might have missed for one reason or another. We'll wrap things up with our shelf edition. We're a new podcast, so if you like what you hear, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And if you have a quick minute, please consider leaving us a review. It helps us find our perfect listening audience. Hey, Tina. Hi, Renee. How are you? I am great. I'm great. I am enjoying my reading week so far this week. Good. I am as well. And I... I'm actually, believe it or not, reading a backlist read as well, which I literally never do. I would like to work on that, but I read something that doesn't come out until August, and then I'm working on something that came out, I don't know, 10 years ago. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's Good a new, for you. Yeah, it's a book that one of the listeners recommended. It's Sharon Bolton's book called The Pact. So I know you were... You've been telling me over and over that I need to read Sharon Bolton. And I have to say, I'm only about 10% in and I, it's good. It's, she's really, really good. So I get why she's so beloved. Yes. As one of my friends and I call her the queen, Mm -hmm. she's queen Mm -hmm. Sharon Bolton. I mean, she is her mysteries. Now I haven't loved everyone. I'll tell, I mean, and I haven't read this current one. I have it. I just need to get to it, but it's rare for me to say I haven't liked something. I love she that. Wrote. Well, good. I'm glad to be joining the bandwagon. Yes. Welcome to the <laughs> Sharon Bolton fan club. Are you the official welcome wagon? I would like to think so. Okay. I mean, I haven't heard from Sharon lately, but <laughs> Have after, you- I, after I did read Dead Woman Walking and posted that review, she did send me an, a, a very nice email that said, thank oh my you God. for reviewing. And I thought we were friends for sure. You go- <laughs> You guys, I'm a big old dummy. <laughs> the pact came out on May 1st, 2021. <laughs> oh, and that's... I thought it was, was backlist. I thought, well, it was... I thought you were talking about a different backlist. No. And then you said you were reading this current read. No. See, no. anytime... See, I didn't... Even when I, I try, it. even when I try to read backlist, it's just, it's still front list, but... That's May, okay. To you, May is backlist. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally, it is. All right. So That's all right. Tell me what you're loving lately. This week, I am loving a TV show. And yes. It is my favorite, one of my favorites, and my, I mean, my absolute current favorite. It is Younger, starring Sutton Foster, Hilary Duff, Debbie Mazar, and I think it's now available... On regular TV, I'm watching it through Hulu, but I think season seven just became available. Um, I don't know where, maybe TV land, but I have watched every season. I have obsessed over every season and I am going so slow with this one because it's it. Oh, I hate so, that. Yeah, oh, I know. I'm sad. It, it has everything I like. It's set in New York City in the world of publishing. 
it reminds me of Sex in the City, but set in publishing and just kind of a hipper, you know, uh, an know. updated version. There's book. It, there's books uh-huh. and there's little quirky author knockoffs. Like there's one guy who's their major, like it, insanely popular author who drives around in his little cart and he's got a beard and he's really like curmudgeon-y. And I am sure that's kind of like a George R.R. R. Martin mm-hmm. type of character. Mm-hmm. Um, he writes fantasy. So anyway, this is about a 40-year-old woman who gets divorced and decides to re-enter the workforce back into publishing, but she can't get hired. So then she gets a makeover and she decides to go back on her interviews as a 26-year-old. Really? (laughs) Yeah, and gets hired. This makes sense, hence the name Younger. Younger, right. And so from then, you know, following through all the seasons, there's lies and betrayals and steamy romance with a younger man everyone who watches it will know hello josh uh, a juicy love triangle and just lots of friendship between her and the other girls friendship highs and lows um it has everything i love it i'm gonna be sad i'm gonna miss these characters and that's the kind of tv show that i like and that was younger maybe i definitely on hulu otherwise just kind of check and see where you can get it on tv okay. land maybe You sold me on this. So is this the show where a fiction book was published based like that is? Yes. It's like a inception kind of thing. It's like, right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yes. One of the, so the owner of the publishing house, Charles, who was on sex in the city and he is, is the owner of the publishing house here. His wife writes a book which is a kind of about their life. And then it becomes very scandalous mm-hmm. and, blah, you know, and all of that. And yes, that it's, okay. it's the show. That's what I thought. All right. You've sold me on this. I haven't watched a show in a while. Like I, I can't tell you the last show I've binge watched. So this sounds good. You will binge watch this and it's perfect. So start, you've got all these seasons. You can watch, you can binge the whole thing because season six, when it finished, it finished the summer before COVID. Like we have literally waited all, two years to get so season seven. When did season seven start? I don't know. It was a weird launch. It just it just dropped. All okay. episodes are out. It just oh, finished. It's over. Of, it's oh. over. And I've only watched one because I'm going really slow. Uh-huh. You're <laughs> like, I can't do it. I can't. Okay. All right. That sounds good. Okay. Does all that right. make sense? All right. Yeah. Thank all right. What, what about you? What are you loving this week? So my loving lately is a podcast called Blind Landing. So mm-hmm. as we're recording this, today is the very first day of the 2020 Olympics. And I am obsessed with the Olympics and also gymnastics. When I saw Sarah from Sarah's Bookshelves Live share this, I downloaded it immediately. So what it is, it is a five-episode serialized story that uncovers one of the biggest mistakes in Olympic history. So in gymnastics, one of the most coveted gold medals is from the all-around. So the all-around is where gymnasts compete in each of the events, and whoever scores the highest total combined wins the gold medal. Back in 2000, in Australia, the women that were the most favored to win started falling on the vault. And I don't know how much you know about gymnastics, but the vault 
is not the event where you see a lot of people fall on. It's the horse that you pump, you know, propel yourself over. If you see them fall, it's usually off of the balance beam. It's very mm-hmm. rare to see them fall from the vault. These women weren't falling a little bit. These were some of the most dangerous falls that I've seen. Like this could have seriously injured them. And you'll have to see and listen to see what happens. But it is so uncommon to see gymnasts fall on this event. Usually you might see one in an entire event. And they had something like eight of the competitors fall. So finally, one of the gymnasts figured out that something was up. So this podcast is produced by a journalist. And she interviews the gymnasts that were there to get the story of what happens in their words. The episodes are short and there are only five, so this was very easy to binge in one day. If you're an Olympics lover or a gymnastics super fan like me, I would recommend you check it out. This was the podcast called Blind Landing. Oh, that's cool. I have not heard anything about that. Mm -hmm. I hadn't either. It has a super attention-grabbing cover because on the the cover art for the podcast is a vault with two little hands on it because what you do... If you're anything like me, you start to look up the women that fell and see their falls and see like what is going on. Um, it's pretty well. I want to know right now. Was there some? I want to know. Like, was I'll, there a conspiracy? Don't tell me. Of course, I'll tell you offline if Don't you want. If you want to know. <laughs> well, that's, it's, that's exactly what I thought. I'm like, is it a conspiracy? Because like, who has what to gain here? It's it's a worldwide event. There's Olympians from each country competing. So it was really interesting. And again, it took me literally one afternoon to get through all of them. So if you're in the mood for an Olympics theme podcast, check them out. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. I am very excited to hear what you are bringing this week for your latest read because I don't know. My latest read is a book that I think a lot of us have been highly anticipating and it is A Slow Fire Burning by Paula Hawkins. Yes. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot you said you posted that you were listening to that. I totally did. forgot. I did okay. listen to it and this comes out on August 31st and of course Paula Hawkins is the author of The Girl on the Train and also Into the Water. I liked the girl on the train and I appreciate what it did for the thriller genre. Mm -hmm. I abhorred into the water. (laughs) I hated that book. (laughs) Okay. I I didn't like it. And and the reason I didn't was because there were so many characters and it was just not my cup of tea. I didn't even try that one. It was a lot. I will say this one, a slow fire burning is my favorite Paula Hawkins yet. So really? Yes. I'm happy to be able to say that. Now, this is a slow burn. This is not a fast-paced page turner, but it is a very apt title because it is a slow burn that centers on a young man that has been brutally murdered on a houseboat. We come to know the people around him, and to be honest, they could all have plausibly played a role in his demise. So you have his aunt and uncle who are grieving the loss of multiple family members, You have Laura, a fiery young woman with a traumatic brain injury who was the last to see him, and Miriam, the nosy neighbor who is hiding things. And she also lives on a houseboat. The murder took place on a houseboat, and I thought that was just kind of a fun setting. This is very well written. You get plopped into the story almost immediately, and then the author kind of peels the layers back to give you the characters' backstories. There are a ton of things lying beneath the surface and things quickly get twisted. There's family secrets. There's deep-rooted trauma. I will say this book made me sad, but 
that's the mark of a good author is to really get you to care and to really get you to feel. It's a heavy book, but I thought she did such a good job getting you to understand the characters' motivations. They are all unreliable in their own way, but I actually loved some of the more non-traditional ones. There was a, a wonderful old lady that lives next door that ended up being a great addition. And if you don't mind books with a lot of moving parts, I thought this was a good mystery that unraveled nicely, and it has a clever ending. There is a little bit of a book within a book, which I like. I think that's like always a fun nod, and this one was especially clever. It's worth mentioning that I listened to it, and the audiobook is narrated by Rosamund Pike. And Rosamund Pike is the actress from Gone Girl, so of course it was next level. She's incredible. I really like this book, and I highly recommend it. It's a slow fire burning by Paula Hawkins. Awesome. I that has to be top-notch narration. I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. I also I also have it on audio. And when I read the synopsis, the thing that got me was houseboat setting. Uh-huh. <laughs> was, was that really late? Wasn't that fun? They did not use it as much as I think they could have, but it still okay. was a fun nod because you're right. In a houseboat, the thing is you have docks and then you have people coming in and out of the neighborhood. And this is a pretty, right. this book is very character driven. So you kind of are living in some of these characters heads for a while, which is why I think it made me uncomfortable. But I also think it really brought me into it. I can tell you all of the points that happened in this book. Like it wasn't confusing. It, it kind of brought you into the story. So okay. I'm excited would, to hear what you think about it. Would you care? Would you say it's more of a character driven mystery, but not a, versus a thriller of any sort? Absolutely. I would okay. not call this a thriller. Okay, got it. That is definitely on my TBR. I have the audio and I will get to it and I'll just have to bring it as a kind of side tangent. Oh yeah. You jumped on that. I did. I scooped it because I was excited. That's okay. Did you like the girl on the train? I, well, here's the thing. I did like the girl on the train, but I had it figured out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I did. I never, I, I am a horrible detective. And so the fact that I had that figured out, I liked it. I didn't love it. Where I love, I did love Gone Girl. Yeah, I and loved I read, Gone Girl. And I think that came out. I think it was 2009. I mean, okay, so Gone Girl was first, but it reminded me, it, it felt to me like, oh, this is writing on the yes. kind of the coattails of Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still read it in a short time. I just don't want to figure things out. I don't want to, and I usually don't. I'm withholding commentary on that. Okay. Because I don't want to give too much away. I, I cannot stand when I look up a book I'm excited about that doesn't even come out yet and I see somebody accidentally spoil something. So I'm oh, going to... for sure. Yeah, I know right. most of us do. So I'm going to leave it there. But yeah, I'm excited to see what okay. you think. All right. I will get to that later on. Tell me about your latest read. Mine is something different for me, which I'm excited to bring. I mean, I do bring the mystery and thrillers, but this week I am going to bring Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. And this is so funny because I had seen this popping up on Instagram here and there. It's, it really is a really nice cover. However, there's a girl playing a guitar on the cover. So I immediately was like, nope, I don't <laughs> like music. I don't. <laughs> Wait. You don't like music full stop, like at all? Well, I don't care about, I mean, 
I don't care about reading about music. Okay. I, I don't, don't come at me. I didn't love Daisy Jones and the Six. Hold on. You didn't? No. Okay. Three stars. Three stars. <gasps> now, ha- had I been able to listen to Daisy yes. Jones and the Six, okay. I think that would have been different. I read it about six months before it came out. And I don't do well with reading an oral history. Format. I see. I, co- I completely okay. understand. I did read it. I loved it five stars, but I have heard that the audio is a superior experience. And I bet it would be. So I can't say that I wouldn't have liked it better. But music is not something. I mean, this could have been on my buzzwords episode. Your anti buzzwords. My anti buzzword. <laughs> if I, because I'm like, eh, no, I'm going to. However, we got that email from Jennifer who said that she binged Songs yes. of Ursa Major and then had a book hangover. And I will tell you, if somebody tells me that a book gave them a book hangover, mm-hmm. I will immediately go and look that book up. I hear and you. It will get it will get on my radar. And so um, thanks to Jennifer again, because that is why I went and looked up Songs of Ursa Major and looked at it closer. When I read the whole synopsis, I was like, oh, that reminds me of the movie A Star is Born. And I definitely think I want to read that. And turns out it definitely gave me A Star is Born vibes, not for anything that actually happened in the plot, but for the setup and the relationship between them. So this is set in the year in 1969 on Baleen Island when there is a folk fest getting ready to happen. And the buzz is for Jesse Reed. He's tall, handsome, blue eyes, stonewashed denim because it's the late 60s and everyone is there to see him. And of course, I'm sorry, I picture Bradley Cooper. Yeah, fair enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. On the way to the show, Jesse's motorcycle crashes. And so at the last, this is synopsis, they need somebody to fill in and Jane Quinn and her band are there to play like randomly at another thing. They ask them to fill in and Jane goes out and she is phenomenal. Like everybody was booing and then she sings and stops everyone in their tracks. That sounds familiar, right? This literally couldn't be more like a teen book. I'm dying. I Really? I love, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So the story goes from there and Jesse is from a very wealthy family. And his family's house is on the island. Jane is a local. And so her family is not wealthy, but you also get like snippets. Like she's, she has a sister and she has a grandma and like Jane wants to be a star and she is dedicated to her music and her and Jesse form a friendship. And he decides that he wants to help her after her initial performance. And like the agents come running and the, Jane is in a whirlwind of like, can we make you a star? And she gets sucked up into that. And in on, you know, in the meantime, Jesse is a little bit like not resentful, but he's a little more bitter than her. He's been in it. He's very, he's very popular. He's, he's a star jaded. already. Mm-hmm. He's jaded. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. He's a star. So the story goes like, just that's it. That's all you need to know. They get intertwined. They have a, a love affair and they have just ups and downs. There's trauma. There's wild 
parties. There is the, the, the life of music stars. I loved it. I loved it. I mean, I do not care. Can I tell you again about music? But I was loving every part of this and it, and I really appreciated the epilogue. I am somebody that loves epilogues. Yeah. I agree. Some people say they don't want epilogues. I want an epilogue if I can get one anytime. And this was really good. And you know what I realized, Tina? What? Okay. Because I say I don't like romance. I really, <gasps> I don't. Hold I don't on. Really? Uh huh. Here's what I like. Here has, is what I decided. I like bittersweet love stories. Okay. I like that. And this is a bittersweet love story. It may not go the way you want. It may Ugh. go the way you want. And you're going to be on a roller coaster the whole way. And okay. that's what I love. Okay. I do agree with you in terms of romance. If it's too neat, if it's like too cute, too like wrapped up in a bow, right. I can be like, and all right. There is no, che- and you don't like cheesy. I don't like I don't cheesy. Like cheesy. Mm-hmm. There is, this is not cheesy. This is, this is just really well done. And that was Songs in Ursa Major by Emma Brody. Oh, I'm so excited. I am listening to this immediately. I That's say, the way. Oh, I didn't. I forgot to mention. Oh, I, so did you I did say li- I listened to this? No, but I knew you did. But so this was good on audio. This is great on audio. I listened to the whole thing. Oh, okay. Well, thank you for bringing that. Please let me know after you read it. I will. All right. Let's get into book talk. We picked this episode topic because I know a lot of us get burnt out on seeing the same books being hyped up on social media over and over again. So we thought it could be fun to bring a few of our recommendations that are lesser known. One of the things that I was thinking about while prepping for this episode was what makes a book under the radar? So the way that I did it was by looking at Goodreads to see the ones that did not have a ton of reviews or ratings and ones that I haven't seen on social media often. Right. I was the same. I I looked at the Goodreads ratings and I mean, I've been on Instagram five years, I think. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So we kind of remember what books blew up and what books Mm -hmm. really haven't been seen. And also if you combine that with maybe the celebrity book clubs. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of get a, a good idea on what books have not gotten any traction. I mean, I feel it right. Like yeah. we've been in the book community for quite a while that we just kind of know. But then also Goodreads is such a an indicator because a lot of people go to Goodreads. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, a ton. I mean, there are some books and, oh gosh, it was, oh, a Stephen King mm-hmm. that has that may have over, way over 200,000 mm-hmm. ratings. Right. And I think a lot of quote unquote regular readers use Goodreads. So mm-hmm. somebody had mentioned, I know that I don't like to use star ratings and someone's like, you can opt out. You know, you don't have to use a star rating on Goodreads. And the reason I do is for this exact thing, because I feel like if I don't provide a star rating, I'm somehow not giving the book its due to the larger oh, yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. And I also, I do give the star ratings also for me, because sometimes I forget if I liked it like years later. <laughs> that's true. Like, Wait, did that's, I like that? That's very true. And then I'll go back and look and then I'll see what I gave it. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I didn't. Usually that's how it is. I didn't yeah. like it. <laughs> yeah. You kind of like think about it. Like really was it? Oh my gosh. I used to give like almost everything. I read five stars. Like just, I, I guess 
who cares? You know, like at, at the time I was like, oh, I loved this book. Yeah, of course. I think now I've become a much more nuanced reader or mm-hmm. reader. Something that I started to think about and maybe overthink was how do books get on radars? How do books get on your radar, for example? Right. How do they, how do they gain traction? So there's Bookstagram, of mm-hmm. course. And, and I do get a, a lot of recommendations from that. But I also like to check just about everything. I will check. I get newsletters from Publishers Weekly. Mm-hmm. I get Perkis. I get Amazon, like editor's picks. Oh, uh, interesting. I, yeah. Uh, let's see where else. Twitter. I mean, I, I get a lot on Twitter, not not as much as I do on Instagram, but the authors really tend to gravitate to Twitter. So I find out there like who's got a new book coming out mm-hmm. a little sooner than maybe, or whose book is blowing up. And lately, honestly, it's been like, which authors are behaving badly yeah. on Twitter? Oh, really? Yeah. Big, oh, yeah. there's, I went down a deep rabbit hole on that. And that's going to affect their books. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they realize that. I think some do. I think they, maybe some don't care. Right. But gosh, it's interesting to think like how now being a presence on social media can really affect an author's book not in a bad or good way. Like I would say right. for me, there are some authors where if they've interacted with me over the years, it doesn't make me change my rating of their book or whatnot, but it might make them, it might make me more amenable or more likely to pick their books up because I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. this author always, you know, comments now and again on my stuff. And I think that is so cool. What a interesting direct connection you can get to your readers that they've not ever had in any other capacity. Exactly. Exactly. And I know that, I know book of the month, right? We get Yes, definitely. It's on our radar Mm -hmm. from Book of the Month and some that we've heard of probably and some I haven't. Some I haven't, for sure. the celebrity book clubs, what do you think? Um, I know we're going to dive into that Mm -hmm. at a a later episode, but every now and then they can come up with something I have I think so. I think celebrity book clubs, I think that's kind of one of the OG ways to really, really blow up a book. Obviously the number one is Oprah's book club back in the day. I I still think my mom collected all of her books and like read them all or, you know, attempted to read them all. I remember the Oprah's book club logo on the little front cover there. So I know hers definitely has had an influence. Um, I think today you've got Reese's book club, Jenna's book club. Those are probably the two biggest ones that I pay attention. I guess I don't wait and see what they recommend, but most of the time I'm like, oh, I'm already reading that. And I'm like, good. I'm glad for this author because I know if they get picked up as book of the month or if they get picked up as one of the celebrity book clubs, that's going to do a major thing to their bottom line. Right. So the books that go under the radar, do you think it's because the authors are not social media savvy or what? Hmm. Because at least the ones I am bringing, I loved them. Mm-hmm. Every, every, the ones I'm bringing today, I gave four to five stars mm-hmm. for. And they just, to me, did not get the attention or the accolades or anything that they deserved. No, I think a, a, it's such an interesting concept because I really think an author can quote unquote do everything right. They can be super active on social media. It could be a wonderful book. It could have a beautiful cover and still not hit for reasons. Uh, I think one of the big reasons is marketing and Mm. it's a business and publishing is a business. They want to sell their books. So what are the books 
for me personally, how books get on my radar a lot of the times are from book publicists. So a publicist will send me, hey, Tina, I've got XYZ title. What do you think? And what a gift. Like that's my favorite thing about talking about books online is that I get books sent to me in advance. I also think, why are some books being prioritized over some other books? And I think obviously within the last year and a half on Twitter and in just the social zeitgeist, it's been very well documented that BIPOC authors don't get picked up. I I should say they used to not get picked up as often as their white counterparts in mainstream publishing. And with, I think, a mainstream publishing house, you get dollars behind it in terms of marketing. So what we mean by book marketing, for example, is if you go into Goodreads and you'll see those little ads at the top, like at the top banner, it's going to be XYZ book. And a lot of the time, it's a book by a super popular author that honestly, you probably may have already heard about on your own. But because the publishers know that that's going to sell, they're putting the marketing dollars behind it. Right, exactly. And I I don't know, I'd be interested to hear what anyone else thinks about this because I know that in the Facebook groups and in circles on Bookstagram, people are looking mm-hmm. for books they haven't heard about. Mm-hmm. But yet when we post like on Instagram in particular, a book that is not popular, like let's say for throw book Thursday, right? On Thursdays, you, you know, I like to post and I need to try to do that every Thursday, but something that was pretty backlist, it doesn't get a lot of attention or likes. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting what people say they want versus Mm -hmm. what they're really out there promoting and paying attention to. Well, and I get, twisted too, because I read a lot of buzzy books and I always think, okay, I'm a content creator and what would make more interesting content for people? Do listeners or people that follow us want to hear what we think about popular books or are they coming to us for books that they haven't heard of yet? It's a mix, I think. There are some reviewers, like we of course have our own people that we follow that we're like, okay, what did XYZ reviewer think about Mm -hmm. this particular book? And if I see Brett's book club liked a book. I his reviews like stick out for me, and it it kind of holds. He's so good at Mm -hmm. writing reviews. So I just think we have to be careful about thinking about what is a radar. Why does it matter? Why are the books that we're seeing everywhere pushed to us? Like, what is the purpose? And, And not to say that if a book is super buzzy or popular that it doesn't deserve the hype. I know I keep talking about this book, but Tia Williams's book, Seven Days in June, I read it in March and it didn't come out mm-hmm. for several months. And I felt like I was one of the early reviewers, but I was delighted when it got picked up then by Reese's Book Club because I'm like, oh my gosh, this has to mean so much for the author because now it's seen everywhere. Right. Another place that I get books put on my radar is the library. One of our Mm. libraries in particular, which I was just there today, they do such a good job with the shelf talkers. And I actually found two mysteries. Uh, I'll probably pop those out on Instagram, but I have not heard of them Mm -hmm. at all. Yeah. And they, they sound exactly up my alley, but uh, again, like they're published, they're Mm -hmm. out there. And I took them and I'm like, wait, I wonder why I didn't know about this. How come I've never heard of this book? Yeah. And I think that's a great suggestion in terms of a recommendation source. I was just on our library. We have a huge interlibrary loan and like a big electronic library system through Libby. 
in my area. And so it's really neat because you can click on a book and say, it'll give you more recommendations based on this book. So I had Mm -hmm. thrown up the book, um, No Exit by Taylor Adams. Just, I don't know why that was the first book that came to mind, but that was the one I picked and I was playing with it. It pulled out like five or six books that have that similar high pressure set in the snow kind of, you know, locked room mystery vibe. And I hadn't heard of them. I think for me, especially moving forward with the podcast, I want to find a blend because I do think I, you know, of course, want to read what I love, but I also want to make things interesting. I don't want our listeners to be like, oh, they've, they're mentioning the same book we've heard a thousand times everywhere else. Just so you guys get a, a little bit of an idea about the behind the scenes of what type of books we hope to bring to you. Right. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add? I think we pretty much covered it, but I can tell you, I really kind of got into my head and started getting like, well, how come some books get the dollars and other books don't? Like it really, it's a business and it really started to make me look at the books that I am sent or that I see a lot with a different lens. Right. And hopefully we can get some good conversation going through emails or on Instagram and I would love to hear what other people think about finding books under the radar. What what do you think is under the mm-hmm. radar? And what do you do you like hearing from us under the radar books? Absolutely. So join us in the comments because I feel like we've been having some good conversations these last we couple have. of weeks. All right. What's your first pick? Okay. My first pick is a memoir. Look at you. I know. And I think I you mean, like memoir. Well, guess well, you remember what I told you about my memoirs? That they have to be like FBI agents. <laughs> okay. Or or justice, right? Yes. 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 And this is called Getting Life by Michael Morton. I chose this because, well, number one, I loved it. I gave it five stars. This was one of the very first nonfictions I listened to, and it was excellent on audio. It only has 1,150 Goodreads ratings. I don't think I've ever seen it on Instagram. Ever. I haven't heard of it. Okay. It is obviously a true story. This is about Michael Morton. He spent 25 years in prison for a crime he did not commit. He lost his wife, his son, and his freedom. This is his story of how he got justice. This took place in August of 1986, one day after his 32nd birthday. He went to work, and by the end of the day, his wife, Christine, had been bludgeoned to death in their bed. His three year old son, was the only witness or potential witness. So this took place in Texas, Williamson County, and they immediately singled in on him. And it well, is of a course. Cr- yeah, it is a crazy story because they just did. They singled him out. And in 1986, they didn't have all the forensics mm-hmm. that you know we do now. It's not high-tech CSI by any means. I found this to be page turning. It was haunting. The way that they railroaded him. The way he was treated, the way he was questioned, the way he was arrested. It, I mean, you could feel as if you were watching it. You, I mean, it was horrible the way they just came and got him at work and then not only told him his wife was dead, but then, oh, by the way, you're being arrested for it. The way they tried to be, to get his three-year-old son to be a witness. Like, oh, the, I mean, oh my three, God. He's three. So it took 25 years. This This was really good because... You got the story about what happened. So you got the clues, you got the missteps by the sheriff's office and everything that they did wrong. But then you also get the inside 
prison story from Michael himself and what that was like to spend 25 years and how he got through it. This is also really, it's a real life mystery because unlike a lot of other nonfiction books like this, you you don't necessarily find out who did it, but this one has an ending. And so you get the whole story. And I could not believe that more people did not hear about this and read it and just kind of share that, especially because unfortunately we hear so many of these unlawful convictions where wrongful convictions where they end up being overturned as in the case of this story. And he's really went under the radar. Uh, Michael. Martin, yeah. I haven't of heard course. of this at all, but he, he didn't, I don't know how much he promoted this book. I mean, he lives a very quiet life from what I gathered and that was getting life by Michael Morton. Well, this you've done it again. This is one of the books where I immediately go to my favorite app and uh, see if it's available. This is one it on audio. This one is available on Scribed as a ebook. I don't see it on audio. Okay, Woo, that is. Man, it was good. That sounds amazing, and that's one of my biggest fears: is being wrongfully convicted for a crime I didn't commit. Although it's so, I mean, I'm a young white woman. So I recognize how unlikely that is. And it just makes me think about people of color and how they are mm-hmm. incarcerated at a much higher rate. Have you read A Knock at Midnight? I have not read that. I read, and actually Michael Morton is a, is a white man, mm-hmm. but I like these. It made me think of The Sun Does Shine. Yes. Well, that's the first one that I thought of was The Sun right. Does Shine. I have read that. I mm. have not read A Knock at Midnight. Yeah, by Brittany K. Barnett. It blew me away, but I have to read it. The Sun Does Shine by Anthony Hinton. You absolutely do. And that one I would do on audio too, if mm-hmm. you can. Ooh, okay. How about you? Well, I know I started heavy. I started heavy. Well, I don't know <laughs> that I'm going to take as much lighter here. So my first book is horror and it is called Forsaken, a novel of art, evil, and insanity by Andrew Van Way. Oh, I have not heard no. anything. I've never heard of this. <laughs> I know. So this one came out in 2011, and it only has about 1,500 reviews on Goodreads. Again, this is a blend of horror, suspense, a ghost story, and a mystery. And it's about a tenured art professor named Daniel Reinhardt, who has a beautiful home and a loving family. And he's living the dream. Things come to a screeching halt when an anonymous painting arrives at the university and Dan is tasked with uncovering the artist. There is no title to it. There's no signature on the art. There's not, it's not in a frame. And the painting is disturbing. He swears that it changes every time he looks at it. And so begins huh. the nightmare. The painted clocks seem to make noise. And he swears that he can hear the children from the painting run around the halls of his formerly happy home. Weird. So the only way he can get out and get things back to the way they were is by finding the artist. Things keep escalating and time is running out. I read a lot of horror, supernatural kind of thriller. Like I, that doesn't, I don't often get scared by books, but I will say this is one that genuinely scared me. This is a, a real page turner. And what I like about this specific genre of horror or subsection of horror was that all of the stuff is built into the family's everyday life. So they're going to school. He's at the university and something terrible is happening to them. And it just makes it that much more scary. And you kind of don't know exactly what's going on. Is it a dream? Is it real life? Is it ghosts? Like what's happening? So he's kind of an unreliable narrator, but I like that. That kind of gives me, it, it, it makes it interesting to me. And he actually has a new book coming out in September called 
blind sight. So if you like this author's writing, you have something to look forward to. And this book was Forsaken, a novel of art, evil, and insanity by Andrew Van Way. Oh, cool. I think I'm going to save that for October reading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, do you read much horror? No. No, okay. I've read Stephen King here, you know, mm-hmm. here and there, not even most of his horror, more kind of his other books. I do have a list of some horror books I want to read in October. So I'm going to- So do to, I. Do you? Yes, I um, do. Yes. I'm going to say so, this one. is. It, have you read other books since 2011 by him? I don't. Yes. I actually, he has two that I've read and I will- We'll have to link the title because it's escaping me at this point. I like them both a lot. I like this one slightly better. Okay. And then I don't know if he's written anything since then that I can find. I did sign up for his newsletter and I got a like free sample or some sort of like chapter sampling of some of his writing. So I'm curious to see what he's been up to. Okay. I like the sound of it. I I wouldn't mind reading more horror. I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. I still, I'm still debating on the book of accidents. I'm leaning towards oh, yeah. giving it a try. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but well, if you like books that are spooky and that have horror with everyday people, I yes. think the book of accidents would work well for you because it's basically about this family and they inherit the spooky house and things start getting weird. And you're sitting there wondering like, what am I actually reading? And mm-hmm. like, how is this all going to come together? But it takes its time to build. So okay. yeah, I think... You would like that one. That's exactly right. I would prefer my horror to come for people that are just living their everyday life because that mm-hmm. to me is scarier than, yes. I don't know, you know, like supernatural, paranormal sort of horror, Yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I it might you. be supernatural, but okay. You got me with that one. Thank you. All right. Well, what's your, what's your book? My second book is Heaven, My Home by Attica Locke. Yes. And I chose this because I just listened to this late winter in maybe February or March, and I really enjoyed it. I had already read Bluebird, Bluebird several years ago when that came out. And I'd been meaning to get back because I love the main character, Texas Ranger Darren Matthews. So I'm not sure why, especially for people who like literary mysteries, we don't see more people talking about her books. Over on Goodreads, this only has about 5,000 ratings, which isn't that much. No, Um, I would have thought it would have been way more. It came out in September 2019. And then on the little comparable book titles that would be similar to these, like if you like this, you might like this. Blacktop Wasteland, which is by a male, S.A. Cosby, has 14,000 ratings. And it came out last year. And The Knife by... Joe Nesbo has over 21,000. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't feel like she is as well known as she should be. What this book is also about at the core is a missing boy. So, of course, that got my attention. You have nine year old Levi King who knew he should have left for home earlier. He is out on the lake by himself in a small motorboat, which for a nine year old is pretty good. Um, <laughs> but his boat motor dies. A sudden noise distracts him and all goes dark. So we do not know what happened to Levi. Darren Matthews is trying to emerge from another kind of darkness. There were some events that happened in his previous investigation. His marriage is on the rocks. His career is on the rocks. His reputation is on the rocks. Poor Darren, he was really 
just out of sorts. And then his mother, who has never really had his best interests at heart, is blackmailing him, mm-hmm. which was a, a just a... a That's a you don't I see, see that every day. No, I say fun <laughs> little twist. I mean, it was bad for Darren, but it was kind of fun to read about. Uh, I listened to this one on audio. I definitely recommend it. The narrator brought Darren to life. He, he was great. Um, this is crime fiction, literary crime fiction. And I thought that she created a really intriguing mystery as far as what happened to Levi and how is Darren going to get himself out of kind of the mess that he was in? And then also brought in very timely issues surrounding the Aryan Brotherhood of Texas. They were some of the characters that Darren was up against. Then you have Darren, who is himself an African-American. He has to grapple within himself to do his job and find Levi, whose father is one of the Aryan Brotherhood members who is in prison. And Darren kind of feels like Levi was following exactly in the path of his dad. So it was it was just a big dilemma. And then you've got his mom. And I just thought she weaved the whole story with a mystery, with the current political climate these past few years, really well. I thought her writing was great. I think if you like anti-heroes, that's mm-hmm. Darren for sure. And he's flawed and you'll root for him. And it's just a well-plotted mystery. And that was Heaven, My Home by Attica Locke. Yes, I am so glad you brought this. I loved uh, Bluebird, Bluebird, and Heaven, My Home. I enjoyed it very much, but you're right. What really brought me into this is Darren Matthews. Mm -hmm. His character is amazing. And I got, there has to be another one. Like there has to be another one coming out because I feel like there's like a loose end dangling that she's been playing with us for a while. It's not necessarily a cliffhanger. No, no, no. But it's definitely Mm -mm. a thread and there's going to be more Darren. You are left wanting more of this character, which I think is a good way to write a series, you know, I don't know if it's a series, but I think it's a really good way to write. If I could describe her books in one word, it would be atmospheric. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. Because it's set in a Southern town. It's just very gritty. It's very, you're like really, really in that time and place. So good. I'm glad you brought that one. Yeah. I hope, I hope we hear more from Darren and her. And I actually have the cutting season on my backlist. Have you, have you read that one? That one I have not read. No. Well, if anybody has, let me know. If you liked it, I'd like to hear, but uh, that's definitely going on my backlist. TBR. So what's next for you? So for me, book two is Fast Girls by Elise Cooper. This is historical fiction, which I don't read a ton of. What drew me into this, it's about the Olympics and it's about women's track. And I ran track in uh, middle school and high school. I love the sport. And I brought it today because it obviously the Olympics have just begun as of this recording. So I figured I would share it for my fellow Olympics lovers. You also might like this if you love fictionalized stories based on real people. And this one only has about 3,900 reviews as of this recording. Fast Girls is fiction, but it's based on the real women who made up the 1936 women's U.S. track team. What's so interesting about this is that it was the first integrated women's Olympic team, and the games were set in Berlin in Nazi Germany. Oh, So you have a lot of layers going on. And through alternating viewpoints, we learn about the lives, challenges, and the successes 
of the women who made history as athletes at a time when women had to overcome sexism to even be able to run in the first place. Running was not seen as ladylike. It was not something that proper women did. So all of the women that you come to learn about really had to go against that in order to be athletes. And not only that, a couple of the characters are Black athletes. And I thought the author did a nice job with really kind of layering on the fact that they also had to overcome racism, both from within their team, the other Olympians, and from the fans. A character that still stands out to me is from Chicago, and her name is Betty Robinson. And she spent time in my literal hometown. So I saw that in the text, like my hometown. I was like, oh my God, it was so like such a fun, you know, non sequitur. What also is so interesting about Betty is because she was in a almost fatal airplane crash and she had to learn to walk again. So she won the gold medal for sprinting in a previous Olympics, crashed in this plane and came back to the Olympics. And that's a true story. You know, I was up in the, I was Googling everything to see. I'm like, is this really what happens? I thought this was fascinating. I will recommend this on audio because it is a touch long. It's actually about 500 or so pages, which surprised me Mm -hmm. for historical fiction. I mean, of course there's longer historical fiction books, but I did not think this one didn't feel long to me, but I do think it's because I was listening to it. If this sounds good to you, pick it up. It was Fast Girls by Elise Hooper. Okay. Did you say that's historical fiction based on a true event? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So she takes liberties with some of the things that, you know, she obviously doesn't know exactly all the dialogue and those sorts of things. But she also did a really nice job with a lot of the characters were real. Even the male track team, like there's a scene when they go out to dinner and like the, you know, super famous track athletes of the time are there. So it was fun to watch them like interact and kind of flirt with each other. And, and you know, again, these are all real people. So it was kind of a, a fun nod. And I think it's a really good summer book too, especially around these Olympics times. Yeah, that's a great pick for right now. There's, I know that we have a lot of listeners that like to kind of combine things they're watching and things they're reading. Mm-hmm. So that's yes. perfect. Yes. Thank All you. Right, good. I am coming with my next one as a thriller kind of. Yeah, I would say it's more thriller <laughs> than mystery. It's You're both. like, I think. I yeah. don't know. I like to kind of pick a. I like to know the genre, but this one is tough. It is Burn Town by Jennifer McMahon. Oh, I know the author. I don't know this title. Right. Though. She, I, she's the one I was telling you that I was bringing a fairly popular author this came out in 2017 and it only has 4,600 ratings on Goodreads, which I think is very strange. This is easy five star for me. It was so good. I want to say right now, do not read the blurb on Goodreads. Read nothing. Believe me, just if you think this sounds good, go get it and read it. <laughs> just take my word just, for it. I, pro- I promise they give away. Oh my gosh so many plot points. So what this is about is when the story begins, you have young Miles. He's a 10-year-old quirky little boy. He's all decked out in his Robin Hood outfit, and he's on a mission to frighten his mom into quitting smoking by replacing the tobacco in her cigarettes with gunpowder. Uh-uh. Uh-huh. His mom's laying in a lounge chair and like sunbathing, I think. And so he's hiding and watching from the bushes because he replaced her tobacco with gunpowder. Just a small amount, mind you. 
as Miles hides in a nearby brush to watch his mother's reaction. When she lights up, what he ends up seeing is a murder that will shake him to his core and turn his life completely upside down. This was one of the most surprising and creepiest opening scenes I've ever read, and I was immediately hooked. Time moves very quickly in this novel, and we are soon immersed in Miles' life as a teenager, then an adult. Uh, We learn that he has possession of some very special papers his father left to him, specifically blueprints of a special phone that Thomas Edison was working on that enabled you to talk to the dead. Okay. 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 Uh (laughs) You know, I mean, you know me, Tina, I'm all for that. (laughs) Always, You're always trying to talk to the dead. (laughs) I know. Miles makes it his mission to build the machine so he can get an answer to a question that's haunted him for many years. Fast forward several more years and Miles has his own family, a wife and two kids, and life is pretty good. Until the night of the great flood, when the past rears its ugly head and murder once again turns Miles' life inside out. Now, what I loved besides all of that was that was basically pretty much um, the initial setup. What you have for the story that follows is the night of the great flood has suspense, intrigue, and some of the quirkiest types of misfit characters I've ever read. The narration alternates between characters. So you have Neko, who's on the run from a past. Theo, a teenage girl whose decisions in the name of love lead her down dangerous roads. Prue, who was my favorite, is an older school cafeteria worker whose loneliness and obsession with the circus made for utterly fascinating reading. Fred, a wannabe private investigator, and the Fire Eaters, a group of homeless women with some pretty powerful visions. They all tie in. It's a really intricate, well-plotted, fast-paced story. And I mean, I just am shocked that there's not more ratings and reviews for this. I had no problem suspending some disbelief when I needed to. And I think if you like mysteries and thrillers loaded with originality and memorable characters, then this one is for you. It's Burntown by Jennifer McMahon. Ooh, this sounds good. I love a book where I hear the plot and I'm like, there's no way. What is, how is this going to come together? But then the author like manages to do it. There's nothing better. And have you, she, she can do it. Um, I've Mm -hmm. read, I know that winner people. Is her big yes. one. Lots of people That's have read that. That's the one that I'm familiar with. She is a very good author and she can do it. She can tie it all together really well. And it just seems like this most definitely went under the radar. Oh, well, that's what we're here for, right? I know. Let's revive it. Let's bring back some of these books. I love this idea. And and again, if this is something that the listeners like, we can keep doing this and then we can like, how fun would it be to like year round try and find these little hidden gems and like, you know, I would love him. to do that. And I authors know, would love for all of, of us course. to do that, right? <laughs> They're we like, could, yes, please. We could all do it. Right. All right. Well, speaking of books that are very much under the radar, this next one only has 180 ratings on Goodreads. That is so, that is phenomenally under is, the radar. <laughs> I know. I know. So let me tell you about it. It is called An Unsettled Grave by Bernard Schaefer. 
this came on my radar from the author himself. A couple of years ago, he sent me an email and I can't, I get emails from authors, you know, from time to time and I can't always respond to all the requests that we get, but I could tell that he did his research about the books that I like to read. So I'm really, really glad I gave it a chance. It is worth mentioning that this is book two in the series. Although it did work well as a standalone, I do recommend starting off with the first book. The first book is called The Thief of All Light. It's worth mentioning. Let me tell you about An Unsettled Grave. It is a police procedural. What I really liked about it is that it centers on a female detective named Cassie. I guess in the first book, she played a huge role in solving what was going on in book one. So she's kind of riding high after that and you know, getting promotions and doing well when she begins to suspect that one of her fellow police officers is responsible for committing a heinous crime, she petitions to have the officers submit their DNA for testing because she's like, I think it was one of you guys, but we're going to figure this out. As you might imagine, the chief doesn't take too kindly to this and they send her off to do work on a cold case in a nearby town. So they kind of try and get rid of her. When she gets there, somebody discovers a small human foot buried in the woods and things unravel from there. And she is brought into this cold case. And what was interesting is this case happens to be intimately tied to one of the darkest secrets of her mentor. So she has this mentor that she, I think, works with more in the first book. And he had something happen to him decades ago. And now things are coming back up. I loved the female detective and oh my gosh, she was very well-written and I appreciated the author because he, I believe is a detective himself and you could really tell that he has a lot of respect for women and women in law enforcement in particular. So I love that she was at the lead of this book. The police work itself read is very authentic, which again, makes sense. It is a very gritty story. So be aware of that. It was full of tension and small town politics, which I really liked. I thought it was very well paced with a satisfying ending. And again, it can get a little bit gruesome. I mean, she finds a foot and, you know, you can imagine. So if you're a sensitive reader, might skip this one. But if you're used to reading in this genre, this could be a good one to try. It reminded me of Into the Woods by Tana French. That is a kind of similar vibe, Mm -hmm. which I know is high praise, but hey, that's what I got from it. This book was An Unsettled Grave by Bernard Schaefer. Okay. You ha- Did I you tempt really you? You got me on several. Yes, okay. you definitely tempted me. And that with police procedural and female detective, I love both of those combinations. Then you threw in a, that to compare it to In, in the Woods, which is Tana French's book I wanted to throw against the <gasps> what? wall. What? No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, wait, for sure. Are you sure? Wait, I'm for sure. I'm I called it the wrong name. I, I actually up. said into the woods. I said into the woods. It's just in the woods. In the it's woods. It's book okay. one of the Dublin murder squad. And you hated it? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't think I hated it. I think I gave it three stars. Oh, no. I, I love her writing. I love anybody who has read that book will know what I'm saying. I'm sorry if I'm like, this is a vague conversation, oh. but. Uh, at the end, I wanted to Got throw it, it against okay. the wall. I'm feel- I'm I'm with you now. I'm with at you the, now. Right. Okay. 
And a lot of people absolutely mm-hmm. loved they it. did, and I did. Yeah. I was very, okay, uh-huh. you loved it. I was very mad. So mad. <laughs> okay. okay, good to know. Okay, so if you haven't read it, there's, there's another, another bonus. There's a bonus for you. Go read book, that but one. Hey, um, the reason <laughs> right. I uh, comped the two is because Detective Cassie Maddox from In the Woods is who reminded mm-hmm. me of the detective in this story. Oh, okay. Cassie. And I, wait. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Cassie, because she's also Are they in both the named Cassie? Yes. <laughs> They are. I don't know about yeah, yours, but they're both I know named it, Kathy, yeah, so I just looked it up. But okay. uh, anyway, the yeah. two reminded me of each other. So that's kind of where I got it. Well, I do like her. I like her because, uh, yeah, she was in another yes. one of the... I Have think, you finished the whole... No, I I haven't read A Secret Place. Is that what it's called? Gosh, we're just randomly tossed. I think it's called A Secret Place. And I need to finish The Likeness, mm-hmm. which is really weird that I really enjoyed it. And for some reason, got halfway on the audio. I don't know what happened, whether I needed to pick up something else for like a review deadline. And then I, I'm, so I'm still like stalled probably a year later <laughs> at halfway, but well, I yeah, really you might have it. to get, I'm looking at, and I've I'm only read the first back. one for, again, I, I struggle with series. So uh, I liked book one, but I always have it like in the back of my head. You should really get back to the entire yeah, because you can bounce around that series. That is you true. You don't have to read them in order. I read The Trespasser. Um, so, and yeah, you can bounce around. Okay, That's one more nice Tana thing. French. Did you read The Witch and, Elm? Talk about books I want to no. throw against the wall. I, ah, that I one was that. tough for me, but I will say I read it. I very vividly remember this. I was stranded on the side of the road in New Hampshire for about six to seven hours. And all I had with me was that book. So like I have some like negative uh, associations with it. So it may not be the book's fault. That's I, oh, that's interesting. I mean, it was a a long long time time. to be stranded. And I've wondered, that's one of the books that I have wondered Mm -hmm. what I would think of it. And I don't know why I I haven't picked it up because everyone... Like I've read so many reviews where people were like, "It's uh no, this it's is different. not classic." Yes. Ta- like, I think is it's it Tana, Tana or Tana. I think it's Tana, Tana French. French. Tana French. It's okay. So it's not classic Tana French. And I, I say I don't want to be influenced by people's reviews and thoughts, uh-huh, and then I uh-huh. get influenced. It's and I, human that's nature. Why I, didn't I, pick that I one think up. we advised you well on this one. I'm sorry to all due respect. <laughs> if anyone loved it, yeah, um, talk me into it. For sure. I'm not opposed to giving it a try. That was a fun tangent. That was fun. And I, yeah, we hadn't obviously planned that. And hope I love like a little weird rabbit hole that we sometimes I do too. Into. And I love that you brought that because uh, that was, ne- I've never even heard of that. You know, sometimes authors, yeah, a lot of times they do have to advocate for themselves and send mm-hmm. their books out and oh, yeah. you gave it a chance. And, yeah. and actually, you're not really into police procedurals. I'm not into police procedurals. I don't know what got into me. It just hit me at the exact <laughs> right time. And I picked it up and I'm like, oh, I actually quite like this. I do think I want to read more police procedurals in my life. I, I think I got away from them, but I'm like, huh, I do like this genre. I will also say, I, I noticed when I was doing research that there's now another book in his series. So there's now okay. three books in the series. That one just came out very recently. So. Okay. I think I'm definitely going to try that. Thank you. And if you would like a long TBR list of police procedurals. Oh, okay. You know who to ask. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. What's your shelf edition? My shelf edition this week is one that I chose as kind of a tie-in with my first pick today, which was Getting Life by Michael Morton. 
This one came on my radar. I do have a copy of it, which I'm really happy about. And it's called Redeeming Justice. From Defendant to Defender, My Fight for Equity on Both Sides of a Broken System by Jarrett Adams. Mm. It's coming September 14th. This sounds good. Well, when I said, when I, Michael Morton was a white man mm-hmm. and Jarrett Adams is a black man, I did love The Sun Does Shine. Unfortunately, there are way more stories about innocent black men who are in prison for crimes they didn't commit. And so that caught my eye real quick. Jarrett was 17 years old and he was facing 28 years in a maximum security prison for a crime he didn't commit. These stories get my attention too, because I tutored and and studied a lot of sociology and criminology and should children, and if you're under 18, you're not an adult, like, should they be sentenced to maximum security prisons, which that's a whole nother, you know, kind of thing that, but he was, and he made it through. He ended up becoming obsessed with our legal system. So instead of succumbing to, you know, despair and depression, and I can only imagine, you know, as a 17-year-old in a maximum security prison, he became obsessed with the law and studying how his constitutional rights to effective counsel had been violated. He ended up soliciting the help of the Wisconsin Innocence Project, an organization that exonerates the wrongfully convicted, and won his release after nearly 10 years. Mm, Okay. Gotta get this one. I know. But the journey was far from over. He took the lessons. Now listen to this. So he had studied and learned all of that, took the lessons he learned, and then went to Loyola when he got out of prison and graduated with a law degree and went to work for the New York Innocence Project, becoming the first exoneree ever hired by the nonprofit as a lawyer. And in his first case with the Innocence Project, he argued before the same court that had convicted him a decade earlier and won. Is that not the, oh my gosh, I can't wait to read this story. So this is his story of hope and full circle redemption. He draws on his life and the cases of his clients to show the racist tactics used to convict young men of color, the unique challenges facing exonerees once they're released and how the lack of equal representation in our courts is a failure, not only of empathy, but of our collective ability to uncover the truth. That is part of the whole problem. They don't, they are putting innocent people in prison and they're not finding the real people committing the crime. They just wrap it up and they're like, okay, case closed. Yeah, so that was Redeeming Justice by Jarrett Adams coming September 14th. Great pick. Yes, this is definitely on my list. I must read it. And and yeah, I'm really glad you brought it. Yes, thanks. Wow, mine is like, I don't know if it could be a more different book than yours, but okay. I will. Well, what is it? I will tell you about it. It is a 2022 release called The School for Good Mothers. And this is a debut. And you know, I love a debut. And the author is named Jessamine Chan. It comes out on January 4th next year. It's dystopian, and it is a novel about a school that teaches bad mothers how to be good. So how do we determine who's a bad mother? That's the question, Mm -hmm. right? So Frida Liu is the protagonist, and she is struggling. 
she doesn't have a career worthy of her Chinese immigrants' parents' sacrifices, and she can't get her husband to give up his younger mistress. She considers her daughter to be the only good thing she's done with her life. Then one day, Frida has a very bad day. In the state, what they do is they have their eyes out for mothers like her, bad mothers, and because of one moment of poor judgment, a host of government officials now have the power to determine if Frida is a candidate for this big brother-like institution. And what the institution does is they basically measure the success or failure of a mother's devotion. And so in order to avoid losing her daughter, she has to prove that a bad mother can be redeemed and that she can learn to be good. It sounds heavy and interesting and complicated. I did see it compared to The Handmaid's Tale, which is a thumbs up for me. And I've actually, I've been on a kick of books with motherhood themes in them. So I thought this could be a very interesting one to try. And this was The School for Good Mothers by Jessamine Chan. That sounds really interesting. I like the taking like something that would be considered like every day, like mothers are always trying to figure out, am I a good, like, am I being a good mom? Or Mm -hmm. I did this and, oh, I must be a bad mom. And people are judging mothers. So this sounds like an extreme look in a dystopian Mm -hmm. kind of environment where someone can really tackle those kind of issues in a different way. Exactly. I like the sound of that. Good pick. Not a good pick. It is. I think it'll be a good one. It's got a nice cover too, which always, you know, sweetens the deal a little bit. Yeah. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen to your podcasts and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get out to new listeners and grows our audience. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc., and Renee at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. But either way, you know where to find me. <laughs> Look me up. Find me. I'll be there. Bye. <laughs> John was like, he said it like, we're like, literally, it's like, we're going to sleep. He's like, by the way, you should say Apple Podcasts, not iTunes, because that's not a thing. I was like, it took you 10 episodes to mention this?